The focus for tonight's Art Dharma talk is mindful decision making. The Dharma talk that I gave last week on December the 7th was entitled Mindful Consumerism. I give a talk like this typically this time of the year because this whole season has been dedicated to consumerism generally. That's what the Christmas season is about. And during that talk, I made brief mention of the four clear comprehensions. So that's what I want to talk about tonight, particularly as it relates to uh, the topic relates to consumerism or, you know, what we could call right lifestyle. There was a book that I read hmm, many, many years ago, maybe 30 years ago, called The Four Foundations of Mindfulness by U Silananda. It was a very important book for me. It was the first book that I really read about the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And there's a particular part of it that I'm going to read a quote from now that pertains to this uh, decision-making process. It's part of the commentaries on the uh, first foundation of mindfulness. Here's the quote from uh, Usulananda's book. There are four kinds of clear comprehension mentioned in the commentaries. One is the clear comprehension of what is of benefit. The second is the clear comprehension of what is suitable. Third is the clear comprehension of the meditator's domain. And the fourth is the clear comprehension of non-delusion. Now, I have modified the, the uh, four clear comprehensions, and I want you to write them down as I read them or mention them to you. Leave a little space after each one so that you uh, can write things in after it. First one is what I call um, a worthy goal or value. Now, I'm going to be elaborating on this in a few minutes, but just to uh, keep things going here. The second one, suitable means for achieving the goal or realizing the value. The third one is ongoing process monitoring. And modifications. And the fourth one is, uh, is this beneficial regarding your well-being, your social well-being, the well-being of you know, your relationships and the well-being of the environment, and finally, the well-being of your spiritual development. So what I'm going to do now is uh, go a little bit deeper into the uh, concepts and then we'll have a little exercise um, 
basically, just to give you a heads up, what I want you to do is to conjure up a particular goal or value that uh, you may want to plug into this process. Now, it's just a way to demonstrate the potentials, the, the possibilities, the benefits of this kind of uh, formula for uh, decision-making. Now, I'm going to read another quote from the Princeton Dictionary of Buddhism that has a, uh, uh, describes the four clear comprehensions in the context of their Pali understanding or Pali rendering. Uh, in Pali, four clear comprehensions are Sati Sampajanya. And Sati is mindfulness or in this context, present moment process awareness. That's another way to think about mindfulness. Present moment process awareness. One of the things that's uh, characteristic of Buddhism is anicca, the uh, transitory nature of subjective experience. So, um, the transitory nature aspect is what we're focusing on here. Because when we make our choices, um, they're fluid. We may nail down a particular choice, but try to anyway, but things change. Uh, Sapajanya uh, is described in this way in the uh, Princeton Dictionary of Buddhism. Clear comprehension, circumspection, introspection, a term that's closely related to and often appears in compound with mindfulness. In descriptions of the practice of developing meditative absorption, Sati refers to the factor of mindfulness that ties the mind to the object, while Sampajanya is the factor that observes the mind to determine whether it is strayed from its object. Now, let me be clear about the object in this context. We tend to regard the, the word object as being um, descriptive of what I will call a noun. Um, but what we're talking about here in terms of the object is the, the process of decision-making and action. Um, so, in reviewing this, it's it clear to me, and this is something that's been a, a topic of interest to me for quite a while now, uh, Satya Sampajanya is the precursor to the first two of the seven awakening factors. Sati and Dhamma-vichaya. Um, sati, I just described. Dhamma-vichaya um, is translated as uh, the uh, mindful, uh, investigation of mental phenomena. The word Dhamma is mental phenomena and Vichaya is analytic investigation. And once again, this is process investigation. And it, the idea is to be alert to uh, several things. One of them is the uh, motivation regarding a particular choice. The other one is the ongoing process of moving toward 
taking action in that regard. Um, now, the primary goal of Sati Sampajanya and the whole realm of practice is the experience of nirvana, the absence of a subject-object duality, unconditioned uh, present moment awareness. I want to emphasize instead during this talk the more mundane applications of it. It's a really good decision-making protocol. So, the other thing I would say about this also is that the more we have created a lifestyle and maintain a lifestyle that has some degree of clarity and uh, discipline and um, um, equanimity, balance, the more capable we are of investigating at a deeper level the process of awakening, for developing the seven awakening factors. So this is not a completely irrelevant topic, but we live in a very complex culture. I think any culture is complex. At the time of the Buddha, it was probably reasonably complex, but nowhere near as dynamic and rich in terms of potential options and actions as the life that we live now. Um, so, first one, worthy goal. Now, our daily choices, either really trivial ones like whether you're going to scratch an itch or not, or whether you're going to buy a house, um, there, there's a goal setting in that regard something you want to achieve or purchase alternatively could be that you're you're focusing on a value a value of honesty or generosity compassion so forth and so on so there are two considerations one of them is uh, a task um, the other one is uh, value, uh, virtue, perhaps. Um, so, with this process, particularly related to consumerism, we want to be able to understand, evaluate uh, the intention that's associated with a particular action could be something that uh, you want to buy somebody for Christmas or it might be some more uh, secular uh, goal that you have maybe you want to uh, decide that you're really going to mean it this year and you're going to meditate daily so that would be a worthy goal right or it might mean that you uh, want to realize a, a virtue of not gossiping anymore. Right. So you set up a worthy goal. Um, now, it's important to understand that 
in this goal, we have to be aware of what I'm calling a cost-benefit analysis. In other words, I'm going to purchase something or I'm going to make some decision, take action. What's the cost going to be? Uh, obviously, the word cost has to do with money, but it also has other implications. Uh, what's it going to cost me in terms of time? Uh, what's it going to cost me in terms of reputation? If I decide that I'm not going to gossip anymore, maybe I won't be considered to be as fun a person to be around, right? Uh, there's another consideration. This, this all relates to the talk, drama talk from last week as well. Uh, what are the consequences uh, financially, socially, environmentally of a particular purchase or um, value that you want to realize. You know, we are uh, really disrupting the ecological balance of our planet in ways that are dramatically changing things. I was just watching the news tonight. In the last 12 hours, and this was at about 620. The last 24 hours, there were 44 tornadoes reported in Louisiana. And it's headed east. The storm front is still headed east. And that has a lot to do with climate change, um, global warming. So uh, it's important to be thoughtful about our choices, which are deeply conditioned. The, the most the deepest conditioning is the notion that there's an ongoing autonomous self. And when we make a choice, it seems like, you know, it's my choice. You know, I can take responsibility for my choice. But we don't think about the, the uh, ripple effect of the choice going forward in time and out across um, society and the planet in a lot of different ways. So... Um, when I was a kid, you know, I wanted a Christmas present. Um, and a lot of times the choices for what I wanted were influenced by peer pressure. Kid down the street had it. I, my, I had a bicycle. It was stolen. I wanted another bike. And um, my father bought me a bike with racing tires. And we lived on a sandy clay road. Now, he didn't stop to think about the consequences of that, but I was supposed to take great joy in this bike. And it was really hard to ride it. it kept sliding around, it was very bumpy, uh, so forth and so on. But I wanted it because my peers had a bike. Right? I kept insisting on that. So um, our choices, we are largely unconscious about our choices. And we act on them because we want to get the respect or admiration of our peers. Or um, we think we, we would be happy if we have such and such because the people on TV are very happy when they have such and such. 
not even considering cost-benefit analysis. So that's part of this protocol, is to be aware, what are the consequences of this? And this is something that we, we do on an ongoing basis. In fact, it might be that initially, when I set a worthy goal, there's an important period of time for due diligence um, in terms of values. Uh, as a mental health professional, I would get emails or text messages or voicemails from clients and they were obviously distressed and they wanted me to respond to their distress immediately, which I could have done, but the more I developed myself professionally, the more I realized that probably a good idea for me to give myself some time to metabolize what was going on instead of reacting out of uh, compassion, wanting to help these people, but then realized that a lot of what was coming across was a feeling of impatient urgency on their part. Didn't really need to be answered right away. Plus, I had time to consider how am I going to answer, which is the second consideration is the suitable means. Um, so that's something to keep in mind during this decision-making process. Um, so let's take a moment now. Write down something. Something that you might want to buy or fix. Maybe there's something that's broken or some kind of behavior that you want to modify, which would be a value. Um, you want to be more thoughtful about what you eat, or um, getting exercise, or something like that. So take a moment to write that down. And once again, this is an exercise. It's, you know, it's, it's your process. The second clear comprehension is suitable means. What's the most suitable way to realize a goal or value? And, you know, what's the most effective approach to achieving a goal? Might mean you have to have certain tools or resources or skills. Now, that might change your goal. It might be that you want to um, well I have uh, concrete block walls some of the interior walls in my house concrete block I might want to hang a picture a painting on the wall it's not easy to hang a painting that might weigh 15 or 20 pounds on a cement wall you have to drill a hole in the wall, right? Or you have to rig something that you can put little uh, eye screws into the, the uh, molding at the top and hang uh, cord down for the painting. But when I stop and think about the painting and hanging it up, I might realize, you know, it's not really worth the effort. 
So that modifies it. I'm not, my goal is not to hang the painting anymore. Or it might be that I realize I need to um, go out to the garage and get my masonry bit and, you know, drill a hole in the wall. So that's the suitable means aspect of this. So um, when you think about suitable means, um, it's also important to realize that things can change along the way. Another example I put in here is, you know, the best way to leave a room, you walk over, you grab the doorknob, you open the door, you walk through, you close the door. Well, what if you've got stuff you got to move into the next room? Or like me, you have a cat who might want to slip outside if I open the, one of the, the back door to the uh, house, right? How am I going to do this? So the goal is to move things. Actually, this is very real because I'm going to be moving some of my stuff out here into this meditation hall for the next couple of days because I start my annual self-retreat um, two days from now. So um, I'm going to be carrying stuff from you out of the house. How do I do that? I've got my hands full. Well, I might carry things in one arm or I might... Um, roll things on, on a I have a one of those old uh, red flyer wagons I might put stuff in the wagon I can roll it and open the door with one hand and keep rolling it and close the door etc cetera, etc cetera. I might ask somebody but these are all considerations in terms of working through a conflict with someone maybe you're having a difficult time with a family member, you know, and you know you're going to be spending time with that person uh, sometime during the holiday season. How are you going to handle that? What's your, what's your suitable means for being compassionate rather than annoyed, right? How are you going to go about cultivating that? How are you going to keep that in mind when you're actually sitting in the same room as that person and they're going to do what they always do and you want to not react the way you always react, right? Suitable means. Of course, um, that brings into uh, this context uh, the third one, um, clear comprehension of the meditator's domain. Basically, that means how to be mindful and how to manage your impulsive reactivity <coughs> as you analyze your worthy goal and your suitable means. So now I'm going to read a quote from the first foundation of mindfulness that actually is where the commentary of the four clear comprehensions comes from. So here's the, the quote. Furthermore, when walking, the monk discerns I'm walking. When standing, he discerns I'm standing. When sitting, he discerns I'm sitting. When lying down, he discerns I'm lying down. Or, however his body is disposed, that is how he discerns it. In this way, he remains focused internally on the body in and of itself or focused externally. Unsustained by anything in the world, this is how a monk remains focused on the body in and of itself. Furthermore, when going forward and returning, he makes himself fully alert. 
when looking uh, toward and looking away, when bending and extending his limbs, when carrying his outer cloak, his upper robe, and his bowl, when eating, drinking, chewing, and savoring, when urinating and defecating, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and remaining silent, he makes himself fully alert. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, process awareness. That's what Sati Sampajanya amounts to. Process awareness. So, we want to cultivate the ways and means for monitoring the evolution of understanding about the worthiness of the goal. Is it practical? Is it ethical? Is it affordable? Um, Other considerations may come to mind. And then, the suitable means. You try one approach, it doesn't work. Does that mean you give up on the project? Maybe there's a different approach. Right? Maybe you need to consult with somebody. But the whole idea behind this protocol is that you develop the ability to maintain present moment process awareness. And understand when your mind is starting to get wrapped around something, desire or aversion, or uh, boredom, right? The hindrances. It might be that you're, you've decided that uh, there's a particular uh, chapter in a book um, on the Dharma that you, you want to read because it's really important to you. But when you start reading it, your mind kind of drops into sloth and torpor. Your mind interprets it as, this is boring. You know, I've encountered this. There's some texts, some books that I've read multiple times. I get into it and part of my mind says, you've read this before. Yeah, but I know that when I reread something because of my practice that's been going on since then and my studies and my conversations with people about the Dharma, this might kind of connect a few more dots in my subconscious. So I make a determination to keep going. Uh, might be restlessness. Uh, the mind might be intruded uh, into by worrying about something. It's a distraction. Um, or you might doubt your ability to actually follow through on the task. Right? So what I'm trying to impress upon you here, this is a dynamic process. Life is a dynamic process. And I'm sure that you're, you know, having this, uh, as I'm having this conversation with you, that um, you're thinking about times when this is relevant to your life. How many times have you uh, tried to do something and then given up on it? Or um, decided that the way you're approaching it needs to be modified. So you Take the time to do more research or um, sharpen a tool or um, some other thing and go at it a different way. But you're mindful all the time. And what you're mindful of, I just mentioned the five hindrances, right? You're mindful of what seems to be hindering your ability to be clearly aware, 
clearly comprehending, you know, the worthiness of the goal and the suitability of the means for achieving it. Now, the, the part of the quote that I read is what's called the refrain, which is repeated throughout the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. In this way, he remains focused internally on the body in and of itself or externally, unsustained by anything in the world. The unsustained by anything in the world. What that means is the mind is not hindered. The mind is not attached to um, considerations that are either um, too bound up in desire or too bound up in aversion. So there's this quality of equanimity, which I mentioned earlier, that is very useful. Equanimity doesn't mean you, you don't move forward on achieving the goal or realizing the value. It just means that your approach to it is more balanced. That's a very important uh, quality to cultivate. Now, I have been using this protocol for over 30 years. You know, I first read about it in the book that I, I quoted up, you know, The Four Foundations of Mindfulness by Usulananda. Um, I've made a lot of choices since then, big choices, small ones too, obviously. Um, ones as small as going back to the breath or when I'm walking to uh, pay attention to how my attention moves from one focal point to another. One of my little strategies is to notice the intention to blink my eyes, which keeps me in process awareness. Right? So what this does is it conditions the brain to be tracking your subjective experience in an ongoing way. In modern psychological terms, it's called metacognition or thinking about thinking. So that's an important part of this. So talked about the worthy goal hopefully you wrote one down suitable means perhaps you jotted down some options for that clear comprehension of the domain you know to be mindful not be uh, dominated by any of the five hindrances um, and then finally clear comprehension non-delusion now non-delusion basically is addressing the, the problems of dukkha that's what that's all about. The stress and confusion. Um, but in this context, uh, we're considering the degree of clarity and rationality about our process choices, our goal mapping choices. First of all, to move our process from what I call self-state conflict to self-state integration. I've talked about this before in other talks. Self-state conflict basically means you have an ideal sense of a goal that you want to achieve 
or a value that you want to realize. And then when you actually start moving on it and you take action on it, the outcome is unfavorable, let's say. Not perfect, frustrating. Or turns out that what you expected to come about as a result of this action didn't turn out that way, right? So um, that's self-state conflict. Self-state integration is what I'm really talking about here with sati sampajanya, or to use other terms, um, the investigation of mental phenomena and cultivation of right effort, um, which is an important part of the whole awakening process. Right effort in this context means recognizing when your mind is starting to get hooked into the five hindrances in terms of realizing a goal or a value, uh, and you can more skillfully respond to what goes on subjectively, then you may decide that it's not worth it anymore. So what seemed to be a worthy goal, upon further contemplation, you realize actually isn't. It's not worth the time, it's not worth the effort, it's not worth the investment. So, okay, fine. But you make that choice and you realize that it comes from a place that is not either bound up in ego gratification or ego defense. It's just simply, you made the choice, seemed like a good idea at the time, it didn't work out. or the means that you use to realize it, uh, the result was less than desirable. Right? So, self-state integration basically means that you're able to cope with the changes that life brings us, the disappointments, the frustrations. Uh, perhaps people um, reject you because you've chosen to do such and such. As I started to say a little while ago, 30 years ago, I started to use this particular formula, and it's led to where I live today. And I keep sharing this, and I, I own the, the, the uh, ego gratification part of it, but, you know, I own my home. Um, I'm healthy, much healthier than either of my parents ever were, in a very good relationship, I'm at peace with myself. I teach people how to live a better life. These all came about because I was applying the four clear comprehensions. I've talked about it repeatedly over the decades and I put it into play in all kinds of ways. So um, that's why I'm sharing this with you. It worked for me. It can work for you. One of the antidotes for skeptical doubt is consulting with a person who is knowledgeable about what you're doubting. I'm knowledgeable. This system works. When you integrate it into your lifestyle choices on a daily basis, either on a minimal basis in terms of you get an itch while you're meditating, you decide to let the itch play itself out without reacting to it that builds the ability to maintain process awareness, which is mindfulness of breathing, in the context of aversion. 
the mind becomes aversive to the, the, the sensation of the itch. And then you just let it happen and you go back to the breath, you keep meditating. That changes the structure of the brain in ways that can be pay off when you're trying to save money to make a big purchase, but there's something that comes up that makes you uncomfortable and you unnecessarily spend the money that you're trying to save in order to not have to feel uncomfortable. See how that works? So, um, the, the other thing I want to say about this as well is that when we're talking about this, we're not just talking about material consumer goods. We're also talking about the media. You know, uh, what's really true? What's believable? Um, how do we contend with the um, complexity of the world today? Not just something material, but also the value system. You know, the basic principle of, of Buddhism in terms of right intentions, to be kind, compassionate, generous, intolerant of diversity. This applies in that regard too, not so much on a strictly spiritual level, but also on a social level, an interpersonal level. So, this is what I have to say about this valuing system. Now, uh, for those of you who tuned in while I started to talk, I, I invited people to uh, make a list a piece of paper of the four clear comprehensions. Worthy goal, suitable means for realizing the goal, uh, monitoring the process as you develop the, the viability of the goal and problem solve about how to realize the goal and have it be in the context of being rational or ultimately spiritual development. So what I want to do now is open the floor for people to share if you're willing to, if it's a worthy goal for you, talk about what you put on your notes. Um, because I think that's an important part of this is to actually use the process. To write it down. Um, so anybody have anything to share about the four clear comprehensions from the exercise that I suggested. Oh uh, yeah, Peter. <laughs> yes, Sharon. Um, I have a lot of things. This really resonated with me a lot because of decision-making and determining what is worthy or what is essential or what is doable, all of those things. Um, I struggle to include things that I know I'm supposed to do to maintain um, my body. And um, one of the things I'm actually trying, because of the limited time, I have some therapy that I'm supposed to do three times a day, which is pretty crazy that I actually, two different therapies. <laughs> and um, 
one of the things that I found is if I can combine like meditation along with doing a particular physical therapy, I'm actually doing it right now. I can't do it in a meditation hall because it involves a device, but I can use the device that brings benefit to my body and meditate at the same time. So you're blending, you're blending your goals and the suitable means for achieving the goals. It's, exactly. it's, it's multiple, you're multitasking. Well, it's, it's a, com a combination. It's a way of not looking at thing things as linear one at a time. And sometimes there are things that can be combined and work. Um, now, this particular device makes noises, so it could bother other people. However, if I'm on Zoom, it doesn't transmit across the, um, the Zoom audience. So in um, terms of the fourth comprehension, you're being considerate uh, compassionate regarding how it might uh, be upsetting for other people. See, I, I, what I want to do with this, this conversation and perhaps with others is to link specifically a particular thing that you just described to one or more of the comprehensions. Because it is nonlinear. It's a holistic. The four comp clear comprehensions are holistic in their functioning. They're not linear. And I, I appreciate you doing that um, because I, I didn't think of it along the lines in your explanation, but it fits into that. Um, I struggle, and I, I also appreciate the hindrance, the part of the hindrances, because um, those hindrances, being aware of them, and I'm going to shift to something entirely different unless somebody else wants to talk. Um, I have projects that have, are awaiting my attention and I tend to not have confidence in either my ability to do them myself or my ability to find someone who will do the job in a very good way and a reasonable way so I stay stuck and right. the hindrance Right. So, so in terms of, once again, in terms of this, this, this uh, uh, form for problem solving, you know, what you're saying is that you, you have a worthy goal, which is some kind of, I don't know, home repair or whatever, and the, you doubt your own ability, you know, the suitable means part in terms of doing the repair, you doubt your own ability to do it, you don't have the skill or the resources or the the strength or whatever. So there's a fallback position. Okay, so the next goal is to find someone who's trustworthy and capable. So now we've moved from one worthy goal to another worthy goal, right? The, worthy, the second worthy goal is finding someone who's trustworthy and competent to perform the, the other worthy goal. Right? You see how that works? Yes. So then you have exactly. to find the suitable means for, you know, uh, assessing 
or, or you know, check reaching out to different people, getting bids or having conversations or getting references from people you trust, whatever. All these other suitable means for due diligence regarding a repair person. Right? Yes. Um, and there was a thought that came in to uh, one of the points that you made, and I can't remember where it sits, and it escaped my brain just as quickly as it came into my brain, but it had to do with um, what you described, but also, um, gosh, this is something that happens now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Frequently. A thought comes in, and I think, oh, that fits right into what Peter was talking about, and then it goes away real quickly. And it Dear, I, forgive me, but that's one of the reasons why I interrupt from time to time. Because I'm afraid I'll forget it. <laughs> so. it well, that's just it. That, and what you just said is, I wanted to interrupt, but I knew I couldn't, or I shouldn't. And um, it had to do with the steps that you described. But there was something else, and it could have been a hindrance. It could have been something that was... Um, an awareness. I think it had to do with an awareness. Being aware of something because I get anxious. And I think that's what I was going to say. What I, I find myself thinking about doing it and then I notice a certain anxiety that comes up around that planning. Okay, so, so let me interrupt. Yeah, it makes sense because then the next worthy goal is figuring out a way to manage the anxiety more skillfully. Exactly. That's it. That's really it. So, looking at this in these increments that you're describing are, is really very practical. Yes, it is. So let me let me go to some of the other people, Sharon. Thank you for uh, offering this up because I think that it gave a chance to really explore the the way this system works more uh, thoroughly. Thank you. So, John, you raised your hand. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's the sitting process, meditating. It seems to always come back to always examining how you think. And uh, the four comprehensions are four very good ways to uh, maintain that. And it just seems like uh, when you reiterate a way to carry this mindfulness, it will apply to everything. And so that's kind of what I do, and it's like a buffer. And uh, when I, I get so hab habituated with it that when I hear you talk about it, I gotta un unpack it. You know what I mean? It's kind of the reverse, and I find that humorous and uh, refreshing. So thank you. Mm -hmm. So anybody else uh, want to share about your? Yes, Steve. Yeah. Hey, Peter. There's, there seems so much similarity between what you're what you're discussing and. Uh, a business process, actually, mm -hmm. a method called Six Sigma. Yeah, which, uh, I, I was doing a research on this on online, and there are any number of business protocols that are related to this. But but it, it, it seems you know so similar 
that point. So it's almost like, oh, you're, you're applying these same principles of, 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 of trying to reduce whatever the, uh, the, the defects are in the process in order to, you know, just keep improving that process. Right, but the thing uh, that this, uh, this system emphasizes is the importance of training in mindfulness, process awareness. That It takes process awareness to a whole different level of training than you'll find in any kind of uh, business protocol for decision-making. In a, in a way, I'm involved in that right now because, you know, you, you, you mentioned, you know, the self-state conflict and, you know, just that, okay, well, you, you've got a result of an action that's just not intended at all and uh, the result is you know, really disappointing and it's it's specifically, you know, in, in my relationship to uh, you know, recognize that, well, you know, I benefit from the practice and I try to be compassionate and do no harm that has also related in just, you know, unhappy wife and, you know, just like the, you know, the saying happy wife, happy life, well, there's a corollary to that, which is unhappy wife, unhappy life and, uh, um, so, you see, know, just, just what, if, what if your goal, then, is to realize the value of patience and compassion, right? So that becomes the worthy goal in, in this context. So that brings your focus of attention on recognizing, being mindful of when you're starting to become reactive because you can't fix it for her. And... Uh, learn how to maintain your equanimity in that kind of situation. And that's a very real predicament for many, many people. You have to contend with family members or workplace situations. And, you know, that becomes the worthy goal then. It's, it's tough when, you know, it's, it seems like, okay, well, she's suffering because, you know, this is in her taking time away from what she feels she should have and that it's a, a hobby that she has no interest in participating in and um, and, and, and that you know this isn't what she signed up for at all so um, yeah, do I change my approach or, you know, just, uh, or, you know, I can't just ignore it. I mean, I guess I could ignore it, do nothing, but, uh, you know, that's not helpful. You know, she's not interested in really discussing any of this. So one of the ways that you can uh, work with this is set an alternative goal, which is that you're going to be very intentionally compassionate and patient. And then when the time seems right, point out to her the positive consequences of your practice. 
she's she's bringing a negativity bias to the exchange but you might be able to in a timely uh, way give her some feedback about how she is actually benefiting from your dedicated practice you see that would be a different application of the worthy goal and suitable means but it requires that you be mindful in order to make it work and it falls into the realm of compassion for yourself first of all and then by extension hopefully for her does that make sense yeah it's 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 interesting that's for sure you know i've had to a career as a psychotherapist i've had to counsel many many people who are in similar predicaments uh, family members uh, co-workers uh, neighbors so forth and so on uh, not exactly that thing you know I don't know why you're doing this etc etc et more lines of some other kind of contentious issue the same kind of approach is well this is bringing you benefit what I'm doing is benefiting you so that the person can start to develop, uh, start to contradict the negativity bias. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, other uh, things to share, Leslie? Um, I'm, I'm curious about. I think I, I think I missed the fourth one. I, I thought you you said that the fourth. Clear comprehension was non-delusion. Yeah, that's the classic rendering of it, yes. So could you say a little bit more about that? I think I I understand the first three okay, but how does that tie into the process? Were you tuned in when I was talking about the transition from self-state conflict to self-state integration? No, I think I missed that, so sorry. Um, we. I'll go back and listen. That's no, that's fine. okay. That's okay. It's worth repeating, um, and it might, you know, bring some issues up for that clarify it for you. Uh, self-state conflict basically means that we're uh, indoctrinated, and that's the the context of this whole talk is about consumerism, not just consumerism in terms of material possessions but also consumers in terms of media. You know, what's what's the real truth, so to speak. Um, So the self-state conflict is your prior conditioning, your karma going into a situation conditions your identity of yourself and of the world that is conflicted because it's afflicted by craving and clinging attachment to a particular view of how you should be, how the world should be, right? So what we're trying to do is uh, create a transition towards self-state integration, which uh, if you think back to what I was saying to uh, Steve, you know, the the self-state conflict is the contrast between he knows that his meditation practice is beneficial for himself but his wife doesn't know that right so there's a conflict for Steve in that regard there's also a conflict for her but um, 
the self-state integration would be to first of all realize that there's a conditioning issue here. You know, I'm the good guy here. How come you don't get it? And find a different way to describe, to frame the sense of self that's patient and compassionate uh, and able to give positive feedback, you know, give some positive reinforcement to the situation rather than have negativity bias take over. So that's what the shift is. The non-delusion basically means is that you're no longer afflicted by the five hindrances in a situation. So there's a more balanced, equanimous, wise uh, process going forward that you can bring to bear on the situation that may or may not actually work. But at least, you know, you're, you're in a place of peace and clarity rather than feeling conflicted. You know, it's totally possible. And what would that look like in practice? I mean, how how would I'm having trouble? Um, I mean, I'm understanding what you're saying, but if, if you're if you say you're no longer afflicted by the five hindrances, is there a process or a certain kind of practice by which one extricates oneself from the five hindrances? Yeah, yeah. Um, mindfulness, investigation, and right effort. Right. You know, you just keep bringing it to bear. Keep practicing, practicing till you come to a place of balance. This all revolves around the seven awakening factors. That's really what we're trying to develop here. So with equanimity, um, you're not too fired up. You're not too dulled down. You're not too identified with a particular belief, but you're not too skeptical. So the mind is in an optimal position uh, to be... Uh, creative and adaptive in a situation. The situation may not actually change, but your approach to it is more wise. Does that help you with clarification? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. John? I'm wondering if people that uh, are aware that when they stay tuned into their breath when they're having all these analytical thoughts they can accomplish their compassion and their mindfulness and I think some people like a partner that doesn't understand that still can't no two people uh, can always be watching the other person 100% of the time the point of it is it's all about balance and for myself I'm able to carry that when I'm thinking by staying with the breath, keeping that with me when I'm, you know, analyzing so that I'm not taken away by my thought or by the situation that I'm in. And I think that is what staying present is uh, about when you uh, apply it on a daily basis if you consistently sit because you have to put the energy and the time in, and I think four comprehensions are just uh, four examples of, of that, and, and I think you have to practically learn how to apply it to, to get the benefit. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So, we're uh, actually at the end of our time tonight. Uh, let me make a couple of announcements. First of all, the topic for next week, 
I, I will be on my self-retreat starting the day after tomorrow until the 30th of December. Um, the topic for the Dharma talk next week will be organized around how the Dharma relates to the winter solstice because the next meeting will be on the 21st, which is the winter solstice. And for me, that's really the new year, personally. So that's when um, um, everything starts to shift back again. And uh, April and Ali, are you working with April on that? Or is that just going to be April next week? Yeah, we're working on it together. Okay, so Ali and April will be developing that and it will be a Zoom meeting. And then the following week, Leslie is going to talk about impermanence. Is that right? right? Yes. So there will be two Zoom meetings. And then I'll be back on the um, 5th, I guess, of January, whatever that whatever that uh, Wednesday is after New Year's. Uh, and I'll be talking about my retreat, which is what we do when someone's had a significant retreat experience. That following meeting is dedicated to the person kind of thinking out loud about their experience, which would be helpful for me and possibly helpful for you all. So you'll be attending the next Sangha, the next Wednesday night? Nope. It'll be a Zoom meeting entirely. There won't... I, you know, the, the, the building will be, the only person in the building will be me. And it'll be not very bright in here. I keep it kind of dark when I'm meditating. All right, so uh, let's sit for a moment. Thank you for your practice. I hope that we all enjoy a safe and happy transition into the new year. <laughs> 